You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. I'm Shelly. And I'm Eric. And this is episode 30. Yeah, thanks for tuning in to another episode. So glad that you're here. Thanks for all the love and support, by, by the way. We really appreciate it. And Eric, I'm glad that you're back. Because that last episode was uh, pretty brutal. And uh, I remember when we were editing, by the way, Eric does all the editing for this podcast. While we were editing it, he like stopped it. And he was like, you know what sucks is I have to listen to this twice. And I was like, oh shit, I didn't really think about that. So the story stick in my head, and mm-hmm. I uh, have to live with it. Well, I appreciate it. All the help. But poor me, right? That actual people have to live with it. I know, I know. Lost exactly. And stuff. So just chill. But Just kidding. Anyways, okay, so let's get into today's case. This is the story of Maitrice Richardson. All I have to say, too, before I start this, is like this case is so frustrating and like the actions that like the police department took on this just like I just don't understand what they were thinking throughout this entire case it's just mind-blowing and you'll see why so this is the case of Maitrice Richardson she was born April 30th 1985 to her mother Latisse Sutton and her father Michael Richardson although she was raised by her mother and her stepfather and his name is Larry Sutton and uh, they she grew up in Covina which is in Southern California for those who don't know Growing up, Maitrice was described by her family as a joy, a ball of energy, great kid, center of attention, got into everything, a beauty queen, cheerleader, vivacious, and full of life. Maitrice graduated from South Hills High School in 2003 and then went on to attend California State University Fullerton. It was at CSUF that Maitrice studied psychology, and while attending, she was an intern for a psychologist, although um, she her plans were to become a child psychologist, specifically with children in foster care. Maitrice was also a part-time dancer at a LGBTQ plus club Ripples located in Long Beach, California. Maitrice had a girlfriend by the name of Tessa Moon, and the two had been dating one another for about two years at this point. On September 16th, 2009, 24-year-old Maitrice was working at a freight forwarding service in Santa Fe Springs, but decided to leave early that day. Her boss described her just, you know, as every day as, quote, giggly. She was too excited, just floating around the warehouse, unquote. After leaving work early, Maitrice made her way to her aunt Lauren's house, which was located in Inglewood, but her aunt Lauren was out of town on business. So Maitrice scattered a bunch of business cards of hers, all like all over her aunt's like front porch, including like implants and stuff. And then she had left a note on her uncle's van that read, quote, who is queen now, Mississippi? I don't know. I have no idea what that means, but that's what she left on his his car. So this is where the story kind of gets more wild. On the night of September 16th, 2009, the same day that she left work early, she was driving her Honda Civic and Maitrice pulled into the parking lot of Joffrey's restaurant, which is located in Malibu, California, off the Pacific Coast Highway, as we Californians call it, the PCH. According to ABC.com, the article stated that this restaurant in Malibu is, quote, known for its ocean views, celebrity sightings, and twinkling lights, unquote. These twinkling lights that are mentioned, by the way, is what 
kind of drew my trace into this restaurant, like to this particular restaurant. The minute that she pulled into the parking lot, the valet noticed how strange everything kind of was. The valet described her car as looking, quote, ransacked and disheveled chaos. So the valet also stated, I'm not sure how she did this, but he stated that Maitrice got into his own car and started ruffling through all his CDs. And so he asked if she was okay, and she replied, it's subliminal. So it was weird, weird, weird interactions with everyone yeah. with her. So once Maitrice was inside the restaurant and seated, the hostess, Caroline Martin, had seen the interaction between Maitrice and the valet, and this is her version of what she kind of told Quote, she started talking to him about the language of numbers and asked if he understood. The valet replied no, to which Maitrice replies, well, I'm here to avenge Michael Jackson's death. I know, you just gave me the weirdest yeah, look. Yeah, she just I know. keeps getting weirder and weirder. Yeah, like, so there's, it, it's, it's, I want to safely say that there's something mental, like, she's having some mental issues, it seems like, right? Yeah. Kind of like, just, she's not all there, she's going into people's cars, she's saying strange things. So no one really knows exactly what's going on with her. So after Maitrice was seated at her table, she ordered a Kobe New York steak and an Ocean Breeze cocktail. Nice. I know that, in my opinion, that drink sounds amazing. I want one. Like the steak. Yeah, hell yeah. So after eating dinner, Maitrice got up, drink in hand, and she made her way to a table with like a huge party. It was a huge party. So... One of the people at the table was David Salgado, who was there with his co-workers from a mortgage company located in Woodland Hills, California, in the San Fernando Valley. Fun fact, me and Eric just moved away from there like four years ago, and I'm so glad. Probably the best decision we've ever made. We used to live at 8119. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll never let that go. Never. Okay, so... This is um, going to be an accumulation of interactions between David and all the coworkers that he was sitting at the table with and Maitrice. So they all kind of say, quote, the young lady sat down next to one of my coworkers. She just sat there and we looked around thinking, is this the waitress? Do we know her? When she came to the table, she had a some sort of fruity type umbrella type drink. There was something obviously wrong with her, but we knew she wasn't being malicious. The way she was babbling, she had a mental issue. It just didn't seem like someone that was drunk. Again, she wasn't slurring her words. She really could not string, you know, intelligent thoughts together. Something about cracking a code and that the voices we said are the voices talking to you now. And Maitrice did respond, oh, yeah. So that was that, the whole conversation, like, between multiple people at the table and Maitrice. So at this point, Maitrice decides she's going to up and leave the restaurant. Mind you, she didn't pay for her $89 bill. Before she left. Mm. Old dine and dash. Exactly. But Maitrice actually never did leave the restaurant. And she ended up going to Caroline, which was the hostess that I mentioned earlier. And she stated, quote, You know I don't have to worry about my meal, Caroline, because God told me that it would be taken care of. And with the language of numbers, that makes sense. Unquote. So another weird statement that she's coming oh, out fuck. with. Right? Yeah. So at this point, Caroline just wanted to find someone, anyone to help you know, my trees pay for her bill and, but no one would help her or anything. So, and she didn't have a cell phone because, well, she did have a cell phone, but she left like that and her, she left a bunch of stuff in her car before she went to the restaurant. And so she couldn't remember anybody's number except for her, um, her great grandma, Mildred's number. Caroline calls Mildred to like, be like, Hey, my trees is here. She can't pay for her bills or any way you can help. And then 
Caroline, you know, is hearing Mildred. She's like, I'm not, I'm 91 years old. I can't drive down there right now. So, and then Caroline also stated that Mildred sounded really distraught and wor- really worried about her granddaughter, her great granddaughter. Maitrice then stated, started telling the manager of the restaurant that she was from Mars and that she planned to have sex with him that night. The manager didn't know what to do, so he showed her the bill like on the computer screen and told her that she needed to pay for it, but he stated that her eyes, quote-unquote, like, melted as if in a trance. She was fixed on the number eight. The employees decided maybe they should maybe, like, come together, put all their money together so that way they can pay for her bill so she can leave, you know, but... At that point, the employees thought that it wasn't right because it didn't like she didn't seem safe to like just leave on her own. Caroline actually stated, quote, we decided it was the safest and the right thing to do to get her to the police. I don't think we'd make that same decision today, unquote. So that might seem a little weird, right? Like she's like, I don't think we made the right decision pretty much like that. They should have called the cops. But um, you'll kind of see where it goes from there, like from this point where. Maybe they shouldn't have called the cops. Uh Jeff Peterson, who was the owner of Joffrey's restaurant, but who also wasn't there that night, but he was well aware of what was going on because the employees were talking to him and letting him know. Jeff stated, quote, it wasn't about arresting her and about money. It was about getting her help. You can't just put them in their car and send them down the road. You don't say you're from Mars and you don't make up languages and talk in gibberish and then give someone their keys and say, have a nice day, unquote. So at this point, they're just trying to be helpful you know they just want to get her to safety and like make sure she's okay so this is where they decided that someone needed to call 911 so she didn't hurt herself or anyone else a bartender working that night called the lost hills sheriff station and stated quote hi i'm calling from joffrey's restaurant in malibu we have a guest here who is refusing to pay her bill and we think she may she sounds really crazy she may be on drugs or something we were wondering if someone could come by and pick her up unquote Los Angeles County Sheriff deputies arrive at the restaurant and give Maitrice a field sobriety test, and she passed. They searched her car, and they found less than an ounce of marijuana in her center console. They also found empty pill bottles, two gallons of Smirnoff vodka, half a case of Tecate beer, and half a container of tequila in Maitrice's trunk. Mmm. I know. That was a lot. Sounds like a party. Right? <laughs> Police told... Um, Jeff over the phone that the only way they could get her help was doing a citizen's arrest pretty much so at this point all the employees at the restaurant were thinking that this is the best way to get her help and the police were gonna like take care of her and before the police put her into the back of their car the patrol car the valet guy asked one of the deputies what was wrong with her and he just replied quote she's a ding so they placed her in cuffs and handcuffs and put her in their patrol car. The employees at the restaurant assumed police would take her to get a mental health evaluation, but instead they drove her to the Malibu Lost Hills Sheriff Station where she was booked, fingerprinted, and put into a jail cell around 10 p.m. that night on September 16th, 2009. But before Maitrice actually arrived to the sheriff station, her mother, Latisse, had actually already called the station and talked to a deputy asking her about her daughter because she was informed by... Maitrice's great-grandmother, her mother, what was going on because, remember, Caroline had called her at the restaurant. Uh-huh. So this is the conversation prior to Maitrice arriving at the station. This is Latisse, her mother, and an officer there. I am calling. I'm a little frazzled right now. I understand my daughter is being brought into the station. Maitrice Richardson, have they made it to the station yet? And she's been booked. The only, the only place we have somebody that's in custody that they just announced on the radio that they're coming up is from Joffrey's in Joffrey. Pacific Highway. 
is the okay. only female that's being brought up to the station as we speak. They actually just put it on the radio right before you called. Okay. I'm I'm her mother, oh, okay. and are you guys want to book her and then release her on her own re recognizance tonight because it, it, it's dark. She doesn't have a car, and I don't want her wandering out. I'm I'm totally just taken aback because this is so out of character for her. Yeah. And you'll see when she comes in, she she's well spoken. I think the only way I will come and get her tonight is if you guys are going to release her tonight. Yeah. If, if going to be held in custody for some type of arraignment tomorrow, mm -hmm. then I will wait until tomorrow. She definitely has no place, you know, I mean, she's not from that area, and I would hate to <laughs> wake up to a morning report, girl, yeah. lost somewhere with her head chopped off, uh -oh. so I guess I would have to come and get her, oh my gosh. The only thing is, at least in the station here, she will be separated, so nobody's going to be with her, uh, so at least that's, you know, the plus thing, so you don't have to worry about her safety. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I feel safe with her being yeah. in, in custody. It's being released, but I'm worried about it. It's crazy out here. Yeah, and she'll call you as soon as she comes in, too. So after hearing that audio, it's like she's extremely worried about her daughter, but she's more worried about her being released without her knowledge. Mm -hmm. You know, so she's like, that's great, Like, but I'm worried about, like she said, like some horrible person coming across her and... The next morning, she's waking up to a report of her daughter's head being chopped off or something, you know, and she's kind of like a little bit laughing about it, but like serious because she wants to make sure her daughter's yeah. okay. So, and it's totally understandable. And the officer's like, yeah, I'll let you know when she comes here too. Everything, right? So, so like I said, Itrice was booked and fingerprinted, but before she was put into a jail cell, jailer Sharon Cummings stated that she saw no sign of mental illness or instability. She also stated that no one had ever told her that Mitrice was, quote unquote, acting crazy earlier that night. So she had no idea what was going on at that restaurant. Sharon said that Mitrice was coherent and polite and that they discussed types of music and just random things while she was booking her in. And it's so crazy to me because, like, all these people are saying all these crazy things she's talking about and acting strange. But nobody informed Sharon of, like, her behavior that night. And also, while I was uh, researching this, this case reminds me of Bryce Las Pisa. Uh, we did, we covered that in episode 11. Just kind of how everyone was saying his behavior was so weird. And then cops, more than one, like multiple cops came in the, in the, and the guy that like helped him with his car, I believe. Mm -hmm. They came and they said he was fine. Yeah. And like he talked to his mom, he was fine. They gave him field sobriety test, I believe too. And he was fine. And then now he's missing. And like, it just blows my mind. Like, like what are these people seeing compared to other people? You know, like why are they stating that she's okay? When really she seems like she's not. Weird. Maybe so, it's because they don't know them. No, the yeah. only people that are going to really know these people are the closest ones to them. And they can see like, oh, you're acting off. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's true. So just two hours after she was booked at around midnight, this is now September 17th, 2009, Mitrice was released that night around midnight, two hours. And according to Sharon, the deputy that booked her told her that she could stay because it was cold outside and Mitrice didn't want to. So they let her go in the middle of the night. And if you remember, her car was towed. So her phone was in there, her wallet. So she's literally walking around but with nothing but her clothes on her back. Nowhere to go. Has no phone. Can't call anybody. So also, <laughs> we just heard her mother specifically stating that she wanted to be informed when her daughter was leaving. And even making that like eerie statement about, the, uh, you know, a report the next morning. So yeah. it's like, why in the fuck is this police station releasing her? It's like mind-blowing. I know that she said that she could stay and everything, but yeah. like... 
but like but she doesn't seem all there i'm just being devil's advocate you know like you know it's by law she's an adult and she's allowed to leave 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah the sheriffs did also um say that she didn't qualify for the 5150 I, I've heard of that before, but I totally forgot about it until I was reading this. And according to OCHealthInfo.com, quote, 5150 is the number of the section of the Welfare and Institutions Code, which allows an adult who is experiencing a mental health crisis to be involuntarily detained for a 72-hour psychiatric hospitalization when evaluated to be a danger to others or to himself or herself or gravely disabled, unquote. So she didn't qualify for that. So that was another reason, yeah. So, yeah, she was um, set free that, uh, you know, that night. And the next morning around 5.30 a.m., Latisse, Mitrice's mother, calls the sheriff's station only to find out that Mitrice was released without her knowledge. And you just imagine how livid she must be. Latisse states that she thought they were going to keep her overnight and that something is obviously wrong, you know, here, this whole situation. And this is, this is kind of the... Uh, this is the call that she made at 5.30 that morning from Latisse. I thought they were going to keep her overnight. Something, something is obviously going on with her. Have you she talked tried. to the jailer? And yes, 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 I have. He said he tried to get her disabled because she was an adult. They had to let her go. What's her, her name? name is, her name is Mytrice Richardson. Okay. So yeah, that's horrifying as a parent to find out that you told them to keep her there and then they didn't. So, um, so also a call came in the same morning, September 17th, 2009 from the house of Bill and Karen Smith, who were living in the Montanito neighborhood, which is located in Calabasas, California, which is about five and a half miles from the, from the station. Bill and Karen spotted someone in their backyard. So they called the sheriff's station and this is how that call went. Hello, sheriff station office. Can I help you? Yeah. Hi. Hey, uh, this is a uh, uh, Smith at Cold Canyon. We had a prowler walking around through the backyard here. What she look like? White, black, as man. Uh, you know, a tall, slim, black woman with Afro hair, very skinny. And I think she was wearing maybe jeans or tight pants with a t-shirt. And I saw somebody sitting on the top step of the six uh, railroad ties that we have in the backyard. I, I called down and said, "Are you okay?" And the answer was. Yes, I'm just resting. And by the time we went around to the other window, she was gone. Okay, so that's uh, that was a little crazy. It's interesting that they find who appears to be my trace just chilling in the backyard, and then she just vanishes. So it's crazy. So my Trice's family and friends asked over and over again for any video of my trace at the police police station, like getting you know when she was booked, when she left, anything really. But they told her that there was no video. There was no video of Mitrice at the station. Four months after her disappearance, then-captain of the Malibu Lost Hill Station, Tom Martin, came forward that they actually did have a video of Mitrice oh, at, at the that. station that night. Look at that. Weird, right? All of a sudden. Her mother, Latisse's response to this video was, quote, So we finally saw the video footage, and I was, I became very alarmed. There's a time where it seems she kind of loses it and she grabs onto this this meshing. I don't know if she's trying to break it down, trying to get out somewhere, but it's bizarre, unquote. So even now her mother is seeing, you know, her kind of actions. So it's like you were saying, like somebody close can, you know, see. Because like, she was always like, oh, she's well-spoken. You're going to see her when she comes in there. And then now she's seeing this. So it's kind of weird. Mitrice's cousin watched the video, watched the same video over and over again and noticed that there was some kind of shadow that walked out about two minutes after Mitrice when she was released from this jail. 
her family were thinking that maybe it was one of the deputies and he was the last one to see her that night. They actually tracked him down and he denies ever seeing her. They came forward after looking at his logs that night that he had nothing to do with the case. So my Teresa's family was understandably suspicious with everything because of the fact that they're hiding this video for whatever fucking reason. And I'm also going to um, post as much as I can. I'll post this video of her being booked and her walking out and all this stuff. Retired LASD Sergeant Tui Wright believed they had found her shoe prints from the vans that she was wearing. And it appeared to him that she may have gone from walking to running. This also the same Sergeant Wright stated that search teams came to help from all over of California, including ATVs, personnel on horseback, bicycle riders, teams on foot, and helicopters. Investigators searched for Mitrice for 11 months and a total of 20 square miles with no trace of her. But on August 19, 2010, California State Park Rangers decided to check out the rugged terrain of Dark Canyon. You see, Dark Cannon was known for the Mexican drug cartel to have an illegal marijuana farm in that location because a year prior it was actually raided and more than a thousand plants were uprooted and destroyed. That's so sad. What a waste. Rangers made their way to Dark Canyon thinking maybe the cartel had returned, but instead they came across skeletal human remains that unfortunately belonged to Mitrice. Uh. According to ABC7.com, quote, she was naked and partially mummified, mostly obscured by mulch, twigs, and leaves. Her skull and spinal cord were detached from the rest of her skeleton, unquote. So this is why I'm saying why this case is so fucking infuriating. Like, her mother just wanted to know what her daughter was, like, when she was going to be released, so she can come pick up her daughter and make sure that she's safe. And the fact that they're hiding this shady-ass video. <laughs> and even Caroline, the hostess at J uh, Joffrey's restaurant, stated that she believed they were covering stuff up for some reason and they should not have let her go that night. Besides that, everyone working on this case doesn't seem to know like how to do their jobs for some reason. You know, I'll get more into that and you'll see why. For instance, there were disagreements about the police removing her body before the coroners even got to the scene, which is wild. Once her remains were removed, they went back the next day with a helicopter. But get this. No one in this helicopter was there the prior day to getting her remains. So they didn't know where the site was and they had like no GPS apparently. So it's like they couldn't locate the rest of like her remains or go back to this scene because they had no idea. Like what the fuck <laughs> blows my mind. So two weeks go by and they finally find the site where her body was. And they come across nine more of Mitrice's bones. Latisse needed to go like where her daughter's remains were found just to you know remember her daughter and so she went up there with an independent anthropologist Klee Hoff and as he was just looking around he discovered what appeared to be one of Mitrice's finger bones so you can just imagine how her and angry Latisse is like how have they not discovered everything mind-blowing and since she was found naked they actually did find some of her clothes but they were never tested <laughs> just like one thing after another with this fucking case pisses me off so she even stated, like, what else is out there? There's like, there yeah. could be, you know, you just don't know. So after the coroner team um, noticed the discovery, they went out again in February of 2011. And guess what they found? Even more bones. Mitrice's family believed that this was a homicide and that she was definitely murdered and that she was taken against her will, potentially. 
Her family did have her body exhumed and re-examined in July of 2011, but there are still, to this day, no answers as to what has happened to Mitrice Richardson. And that's the horrifying disappearance of Mitrice and the unsolved murder, pretty much. That is so weird and crazy and shady. Seriously, yeah. They, I'm sure they got some heat for, like, all that shit. For, for all those bones scattered at, like, different places. Like, that's yeah. fucking... Super weird. Nasty. Gruesome and horrible. Yeah, seriously, yeah. I mean, I believe, too, that it was a homicide for sure. Yeah, it's horrible. They should have never let her go. I mean, like you were saying, she was an adult. She said she didn't want to leave. But I wonder what her thoughts were, like what she was going to do after that. But scary. It's very scary. So, so yeah, thanks for listening. Share. Let's keep this story out there. I'd appreciate it. Rate and review if you want to. It always helps our little podcast. Until next Monday. Oh, I have a new tagline, by the way. You ready? Yeah. G and U loves you. Uh, no? Yeah. Okay, let's just stay safe and be aware, guys. All right. Okay, stay safe and be aware. <laughs> Bye.